This morning's reading is from Psalm 5, which is on page 544 of the Church Bibles. So that is Psalm 5, which is page 544 of the Church Bibles. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence I bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favour as with a shield. Hi everyone. In some settings, put your best foot forward is decent advice. So if you're going out on a first date or you're at a job interview, it's decent advice in those circumstances. It's probably a good idea to present the sort of best version of yourself, or at least you on a good day. Don't lie, um, but smile, listen, be interesting and talented. Uh, First dates and job interviews are not the right setting for dumping all of your baggage in one go. But put your best foot forward is only good advice in those limited scenarios. So if you're a year into a relationship and you're thinking about marriage, put your best foot forward is actually bad advice uh, because your future husband or wife needs to know you on your good days and your bad days. Otherwise, they're not really going to know what they're getting themselves in for. And that's just one example of how put your best foot forward doesn't work as a general principle for the whole of life. If you're the sort of person who always puts their best foot forward in every single scenario, one might call you fake. This is most harmful when we apply it to our worship. I don't really know where it comes from, but there is a very common delusion that says God wants best foot forward Christianity. We never say those words, of course, but I think quite a few of us believe it. That sort of, um, it shows itself when we always feel the need to put a silver lining on every cloud. It shows itself when we never open up about our struggles to other believers in the church. It shows itself when we ball up all our rage or sorrow and suppress it, never expressing it. But God wants all of you, your good days and your bad days, 
in this psalm, Psalm 5, we learn how to worship with our worst foot forward. Psalm 5 is a lament. A lament is an expression of pain, sorrow, or confusion. And of the 150 psalms, 65 of them fall into this category. 65 wailings of the heart before the Lord. So, yes, God wants your songs of thanksgiving and praise. But until you learn to lament, you're going to be missing out on a really vital, important part of your relationship with your father. For the sake of simplicity and memory, uh, we can distill the essence of this psalm into two lines of prayer. These two lines, maybe write them down and uh, use them to shape your prayers during the week. Here they are. I can come into your house, spread your protection over us. I can come into your house, spread your protection over us. First, I can come into your house. Verses one and two of the psalm give a kind of flavor of what's to come. David asks the same thing in three ways. Do you notice that there? Listen to my words, consider my lament, hear my cry for help. This repetition builds a sense of urgency, maybe even desperation in David as he prays. Help me, help me, help me, hear me, hear me, hear me. And he directs his cry using three divine titles, Lord, my King, and my God. He's emphasizing the direction of his cry for his benefit and for ours. He's not just rehearsing his lament in his own mind, that would only increase his anxiety. He's not uh, directing his cries towards his friends. That would be good, but not best. He is, as we see in verse 2, for to you I pray, to the Lord, to my King, to my God, I pray. And what follows after that in verses 3 to 7 is David's confidence that he's going to be heard. And he he sings out this confidence based on the character or two characteristics of his God. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. Um, Who here is a morning person? You strange, strange people. Um, most people had their hands down, I think, because most of us are bleary-eyed, stumbling, grunting creatures in the morning. Uh, if you ask us for a favor first thing, you should not expect a favorable response. But David's God does not do lions. He is ready at dawn, already listening, ready to answer. David has that confidence in uh, God answering because of who God is. He knows that his lament will be heard because he knows his God. Specifically, he bases this confidence on two aspects of God's character. Firstly, God's justice. Verse 4. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful, you, Lord, detest. 
We're going to see a bit later that David is lamenting because of his enemies. He's a victim of their wickedness and evil. They are out for his blood. But God's justice gives David confidence in this setting. God's justice means that he is not on his enemy's side. God's justice means that he is not on the side of evil. God's justice means he is not unfeeling to what David's enemies are putting him through. And that makes sense. If your version of God is neutral towards sin and kind of just sweeps evil under the rug, how do you keep going? When you're surrounded by evil or when you are a victim of sin, how awful it would be to think that God is neutral about those things. How could he ever be neutral about the suffering of people he loves? Like, to give a specific example, when God's people in Ukraine cry out for help, they can do so knowing that God is not at the same time listening to the prayers of the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. He's not. He just isn't. It's comforting for them to know that the Lord detests bloodthirsty men who say that going to war will get you into heaven. Those sorts of people cannot stand in God's presence. So David is confident that his lament will be heard because of God's justice and because of his love. Verse 7. This is wonderful, isn't it? But I by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down towards your holy temple. He's confident because unlike the wicked, he is welcome in God's house. If you've got a a spotlessly clean home with white marble flooring and white rugs and cream sofas, Are you going to let someone in who is dripping with mud after a rainy game of football? Of course not. And how much more when we're talking about God's house? God's house is the place where his presence is is revealed. It's the place where wickedness can never enter. And we know that David himself had been through a few muddy puddles of his own. Yet David says, I can come into your house by your great love. He had been a soaked, stinking, mud-covered sinner, but God's love sent him running towards him to embrace him. And in that embrace, David is certain that all of his cries, all of his pains will be heard. And all Christians should be just as confident. When we've got sorrows, pain, and confusion to express, because Jesus is God's justice and God's love, exemplified and satisfied. Justice would leave us cold and alone outside because of our sin. Love would welcome us in and hear our cries. And at the cross, both of those things, God's justice and his love, come together reconciled. Not a single one of our sins swept under the rug, Jesus carried them all as if they were his own. Not a single one of God's children left cold and alone outside. Jesus welcomes us in to God's presence. But the really beautiful thing about this psalm is not only that you can come into God's presence, it's that hurting, weak, 
crying, broken you can come into God's presence. It's while David is in that place that he says, I can come into your house. And if you're following Jesus, the same is true for you. God doesn't want your best foot forwards Christianity. He'll embrace you at your worst. Your tears, anger, confusion don't make him frustrated with you. Those things don't make him push you away. So don't try to hold that back. He doesn't love a kind of idealized version of you. He doesn't only love you for what you can be or could be on your best days. He's, he, he has a jealous love for you, a love that loves all of you, a love that wants all of you, the real you. Who are the people you feel closest to in this church, in your family, in your friendship group? It's those who've walked with you through difficult times, isn't it? It's those people who've stood by your side when you've just been having really bad days. It's those who've embraced you in your tears. And your father wants to be there for you like that. Look, he already knows when you're struggling. But he wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear you say it. Share it with him. There is a special intimacy reserved for those who have learned the language of lament. Know that your lament is welcome. I can come into your house. Uh, and secondly, um, spread your protection over us. So far, we've been kind of building our confidence that our lament is welcome. Now we get to the substance of what we and David cry out to God. Here it is. Spread your protection over us. And there are three prayers for protection in this second half of the psalm. Firstly, in verse 8, David says, Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way, make your way straight before me. Growing up, um, back in my church in Cardiff, every single evening service would finish with singing these very words. Um, I won't sing it now. I was thinking about it, but I thought I'd spare you from that. Um, these words, lead me, Lord, lead me in thy righteousness, make thy way plain before my face. And I always sang that as a kind of prayer that God would help me choose the right and godly thing to do in every situation that week. A good prayer but I don't think quite what's going on in this psalm here. The line, because of my enemies, is important. David looks down the road ahead of him, and he is certain that his enemies will have laid traps for him. Maybe they're even lying in wait, ready to ambush him. He feels surrounded by dangers on every side, so he's asking his Lord to be his guide and protector. He's asking for a straight path of escape into safety. The phrase, your righteousness, it's not, it's not related to the road that David is going to walk down. Rather, it's related to the Lord's willingness to be his guide. So in other words, as a result of your righteousness, lead me, be my guide and my protector. Show me the path to escape and safety. That's the first prayer. 
Um, the second prayer of protection comes in verses 9 to 10. And it doesn't sound very Christian at all, does it? Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. Um, This certainly falls into the category of worshipping with your worst foot forward, David. What are you talking about here? Um, But do remember that this expression, even this expression of anger, pain and sorrow is welcome in God's house. He mainly seems to be complaining about what his enemies are saying. Um, So notice all the body parts that are mentioned here. From their malicious hearts, lies and death come up through their throats, out of their mouth and on their tongues. The mention of open graves um, highlights just how dangerous these enemies are to David. It's not that they've kind of got an open grave inside them, rather that their words might mean David's death. But he prays that they would be found guilty and banished. He prays that their intrigues, their counsels and plans would cause their own downfall, not his. These people are a threat to David's life. So this is another way of David praying for the Lord to protect him from their hands. We're feeling still a bit uncomfortable, I think. And maybe that's because we know that Jesus tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But it's worth noting that these enemies are the enemies of God's chosen king. These aren't people that you and I personally have had a bit of a quarrel with. So to pray this prayer ourselves, we might pray that the enemies of Jesus and his church would be judged. So in a situation where the lives of Christians are being threatened and, uh, by, by their enemies, um, this prayer would not be wrong for us to pray. However, if we've had a falling out down by the shops, it certainly would be a wrong prayer to pray. Um, but to be honest with you, we're feeling a bit uncomfortable about this prayer, and I'm happy for us to stay in that position, because it emphasizes the point, really, that God doesn't want us to worship with our best foot forward. Rather, he wants all of us, our most unqualified, uh, truest, vulnerable statements of anger, pain, and sorrow. The prayer for protection is completed in verse 11. The first prayer focused on David himself, the second on his enemies, and the third is for all who love the Lord's name. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. As is so often the case, this lament started in sorrow, pain and confusion, but it ends in joy and trust. David prays this for his people and Jesus prays this for his people, his church too. He wants to see us glad. He wants to see us singing for joy and rejoicing. So he prays for our protection. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Jesus prays for your protection. And God's protection doesn't mean that we'll be free from all difficult circumstances in life. That wasn't true for David, that wasn't true for Jesus, nor for anyone that follows him. 
but it does mean that we have a security that will never be taken away. We've got a certain hope of eternal joy that will never fade. We have a protector who will always be by our side, a protector in whom we can rejoice. And as we become more Christ-like, these verses should shape our lament this week too. Our cries for help shouldn't be confined to our own front door. Um, Rather, so we don't just pray for our own protection. We pray for the protection of all who love the Lord's name. Our expressions of sorrow, pain, and confusion shouldn't just be on our own behalf, but on Christians everywhere. Um, Just one way we can do this uh, would be on November the 6th. That's a Sunday. And it's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Um, If you want to find out more about that, uh, you can search online, Release International. There'll be some good guides for how you can uh, recognize and pray for the persecuted church, not only on that day, but throughout the year as well. And finally, this prayer for protection for ourselves and for others is something we can pray with confidence. Verse 12 is a wonderful way to finish. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous You surround them with your favor as a shield. The righteous aren't just those who are perfect. The righteous are those who have a right relationship with God. Those who've trusted Jesus, in other words. So Christian, whatever you are facing this week, whatever trials are causing you to cry out in lamenting agony, know this. Danger may be closing in on every side. You may feel surrounded by evil and sin, But the greater reality is that you are surrounded with the Lord's favour like a shield. In 2 Kings, I wonder if you remember this story. The king of Assyria uh, wanted to attack and destroy Israel. But every time he attacked, um, Israel's army was ready for him. Wherever he attacked, he'd try an ambush here, he'd try it there. But the army was always ready to defend And this was because God's prophet, Elisha, through the Spirit, knew uh, the conversations that the king of Assyria was having. And so Elisha could tell the king of Israel, okay, this is where you need to send your army to defend. As a result of this, the king of Assyria decided, okay, Elisha needs to be taken out of the picture. And so by night, he sends a massive army, horsemen, chariots, to surround the town where Elisha was staying. And in the morning, The servant of Elisha gets up and he sees this massive army surrounding out for his and Elisha's blood. And so understandably, he cries out, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? And then we read this. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all round Elisha. You may feel surrounded by danger on every side, but may the Lord open your eyes. The reality is you are surrounded by God's favor and protection like a shield. If you are in Christ, he is with you. So this week we're 
worshipping with our worst foot forwards. Learn to lament, not holding anything back. God wants all of you. And let's, let's use this psalm to really frame the way we're praying, telling ourselves and telling God, I am welcome in your house. Spread your protection over us. He will. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we, we're sorry for performing in front of you in prayer. We're sorry for just presenting a kind of silver linings version of ourselves when your jealous love wants all of us. We come to you with our confusion, with our pain, with our sorrow, and we just lay it at your feet right now. We name all those things that we're going through, all those distresses on our minds, and we put them at your feet. Thank you so much that you welcome us in that place. Thank you that in Jesus, you wants to hear our cries of desperation. Thank you that you run to us in your great love and welcome us into your presence. Please protect us this week. Please surround us with your favor like a shield. Whatever we're going through, please help us to be especially aware of your closeness and presence and that we may even rejoice in you. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are meeting today with a threat hanging over them. Please protect them as well. And Father, for anyone who is not yet trusting in Jesus, who is facing the trials of life alone, we pray that you would welcome them in. We pray that they would trust in the cross for the first time and that they would know a welcome that they, like they have never experienced before. In Jesus' name, amen.